Good morning, everyone. I'm Stacy Batten. Um, me and my husband, Red, and our family's been coming to Glad Tidings Hartford City for two and a half, three years now. Um, I am part of the Elder Council, um, and I'm also part of the Count Team, but most of the time you'll find me in the kids' ministry, teaching, um, and the variety of ages that we have here. Um, if you would please stand with me for the reading. We have a couple passages. The first one is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, tongues in a small thing can make grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. It is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursings come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Amen. I remember reading that for the first time as a kid and being like, my tongue is set on fire by hell. <laughs> and then I grew up and met some people and I was like, okay. <laughs> the verse makes sense now. <laughs> um, we continue. Actually, we bring to a conclusion our series here on relational blueprints and what we are looking at and seeing is how our words have a way of crafting and building in a unique way the length of our relationships and how strong they're going to be and what the future can kind of look like for them. And so in this series, we've been looking at really the power of our words in the context of our relationships here from uh, the book of Ephesians and the book of James, because the Bible has a lot to say about how we speak, doesn't it? It really, really does. And so we're going to wrap our minds around that um, again here in just a little bit. I want to remind you, um, Haley talked about it in the announcements, but tonight is our Ignite Night. These are phenomenal opportunities to come gather together for some extended worship, some time in prayer. We open up the altars. Um, there will be some communion that you can even take part in. 
Um, we invite you to come forward to pray for healing. Um, it's just a great evening. We, we were able to take large chunks of what is a normal service out, so it's really just dedicated towards pursuing the presence of God. And so we're very excited for it. We'd love to have you join us tonight for that. And while we're here um, learning about relational blueprints, our kids just right across the hallway, they are, we'll, we'll show you here just on this next screen, um, they are in the process of learning through the book of Exodus chapter 3. And today they're learning their faith fact is that God is always with me. God is always with me. That is a truth that has become so important, I think, for every single one of us to be reminded that no matter what we walk through, no matter what we face, no matter where we go, no matter what the circumstances look like, we know that God is always with us. And so that, that's a phenomenal truth for us today. But let's go to the Father in prayer and dive into this. Father, we come before you. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And we invite you to come and speak to us today. Would you shape our hearts? Would you mold it to be more like you, Jesus? Would you, as we dive into your words, speak to the very core of our being? Because God, every person in this room has influence. Every person in this room has someone that's looking up to them, someone that is listening to every word that they say, and they're hanging on to it. Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Would you strengthen us that we could use our lives, that we could use our words for the sake of your kingdom and for the great name of Jesus? We give you honor, we give you thanks and praise. In your name we pray. We start today by talking about blueprints. That's what this series has been about, relational blueprints. I showed this last week. I'll show it again this week. This is the actual blueprints for the building that we are sitting in currently in this moment. This is a rather large piece of paper. I don't even know where you go to find something like this. Like, I've never been to a store, and I'm like, I want the biggest piece of paper that you've got, and they just come walking out holding something like this. They're, this is huge. Whenever you open this up and you unfold it, it's, it's literally like my height. It's pretty impressive. But what, what I think's interesting about these blueprints, there's so much intentionality and planning that goes into them. And the process of redesigning this building and the walls and where the electrical is going to go and where the plumbing is going to go and all that's important. Knowing where plumbing is going to go is important. You don't want that stuff just randomly on your bed, do you? Right? No, you, you want it to go to the sewer where it's supposed to go. Like the systems in place are good and they're important. But there, there's all this thinking. There's all this planning. There's all this intentionality that goes because they want the building to be safe. They want it to be built well. Everything has an exact spot, knowing the exact inches from the wall, the lights are supposed to go so that you can run the line for it, knowing e each step of it, every single one of those things is key when you're thinking about a blueprint. Now, let me say this though, when you think about our human relationships, I want you to think about just how unplanned they often are. We don't have a lot of plans and construction and rules. In fact, I, I talked about this the previous week. Whenever we get in an argument, have you noticed there, like, there's no written rules for most of us for how to have an argument? 
In fact, what we do is like we will often take it right across the line. We'll do everything we can to win, and it doesn't matter what kind of maiming or destruction we're doing. It's almost like to win an argument, we're willing to destroy every single wall in the building. And so what we're looking at in this series is going, okay, if we're going to have healthy relationships, if we're going to have Christ-honoring relationships, if we're going to allow the gospel to be seen by our words and through our lives, we have to be just as intentional as an architect putting the blueprint for a building down with our words and with our lives. So the first week we looked at the fact that our words linger. Last week we looked at the fact that they can hurt or heal. And God, I really believe, did some great things in our hearts and lives last week. Um, I've heard some really good reports from people just talking about there's stuff that I've dealt with since I was a kid that I felt like God started to do some healing work on me last week. And so I'm thankful for that. This week, we're going to look at how our words can either mislead or they can guide. Our words can mislead or they can guide. Let's look at the power of a guide. Notice what James says here. He says, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Okay, so when, again, when we are looking at the blueprint, a blueprint is a, a plan that takes you behind the scenes to the truth that is there. That's what a guide does as well. I want you to think about the last time that you were at a place that there was a tour guide. Might have been a museum, might have been a battlefield, might have been um, somewhere you're visiting like a famous site. But all of us, I think, have encountered probably both sets of guides. There's the good guide, and then there's the terrible one right? Like there's that one that is just beyond boring. They're monotone. Like you show up, thank you for coming to the museum today. It is an honor to have you with us. Please proceed to the left, <laughs> you know? And you're just like, oh, this is going to be the worst hour and a half of my life, right? We, we've been in those moments where like you have, they might have all the information, but they have no passion behind it. And whenever you're with that guide, when you leave, you skip the gift shop, you have no interest to hear any more about the subject. You're like, how quickly can I get out of here? That's your thinking. But then there's the second guide, right? It's the guide that is passionate about what they do. It's the guide that loves their job. It's the guide that gives you like the secret insider information that when you walk away, you're heading straight to the gift shop because you're like, I want to know more about that. That was so fascinating. That was so important. I, I remember whenever I got to see the Hope Diamond in Washington, D.C., I'm sitting there and I'm just staring and I'm in wow of this massive thing. And like this, the, the guide kind of like pulls me to the side and he's like, you want to hear some more information about this? And I'm like, of course I do. And he starts telling me all about like the security measures just around like the case that holds it. And I'm sitting here and he's like, it's bulletproof. He's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. If you were to touch that and shake it right now, he's like, it would drop 10 floors and it takes 10 grown men to be able to pull it out of the vault that would secure it as it drops. And I'm like, whoa. He's like, that case alone cost $300,000. And my mind is like, you know, because you're a kid and you think $5 is a lot. And someone says 300 and you're like, $300,000. Like, 
the guide was key and important like to bringing it on there. But I want you to think also just how important a guide is. How many of you have ever been to a cave before? Right? You've done the cave tours. There's always that moment that what do they do? They turn off the, they turn off the lights and it's pitch black, right? Imagine you're right next to like a 100-foot drop when the guide decides to do that. That guide, if they're a terrible guide, they could be like, now I'll proceed to take two steps forward. <laughs> that turns in from a fun trip to a bad day, a dead day, right? But the guide could do that. Now hang on, to watch this. The enemy wants to guide your language. And he wants you to use your language to guide others towards pain and destruction. He wants you to mislead, to maim, to wound, to harm, to even pull people away from the truth. For if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit. How many, I don't know if you've ever seen like the actual Clydesdale horses. Like I've seen them in commercials, but then I actually had a chance to see it in person, and I was terrified. These things are massive. Like I, I don't even know if you could classify it as an animal anymore at this point. Like you stand next to it, and like you're like looking up at it like, is this a horse or an elephant, Right? But that entire horse is guided by just the smallest, tiniest, little itty bit that goes in its mouth, and you can make that thing go wherever you want it to go. Well, we're exactly the same. Ours is our tongue. Your tongue can lead you to your destiny, to your future. It can help guide you into the things of God. Or it can leave an emotional tornado, hurricane-type wreck of your life that just destroys everything in its path. Your tongue can mislead or it can guide. See, bad guides, they often speak about things that they don't know. They worry more about popular consensus and what people think than the safety of their group. Or they even take you in the wrong direction. They can place you in even danger. And what we've seen to this point is that our words can linger. So what we do with them really, really matters. And they have the potential to build or destroy. And they can be used greatly to guide people towards healing or destruction. Watch what James does here. He talks about our aim with our tongue. And he says the aim is influence. Read with me again here. He says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. He says, not many of you should be teachers because you, who, those who teach will be judged more strictly. I want you to think about, just translate that word and maybe say like teachers, doctors, masters, guides, instructors. In this context, James is citing someone who teaches truth of God's word by leading others with what they say and do. And can I tell you that there's context in your life that you teach others? Every single person in this room has influence. I don't know who it is, but there is someone that is watching your life 
They're watching your words. They're watching your actions. They're watching how you live. They're watching and they're being influenced by it. They're watching what you show up to, what you don't show up to. They're watching what you value, what you don't value. They're watching what you make a priority in your life and what you don't make a priority in your life. And the aim here is influence. James is challenging people and he's saying, you need to realize the depth of the influence you have. And especially when he's talking about like the teaching in the church, he's saying, that's a huge role because if I come up here and just start teaching you things that aren't true, how many of you know we're in some trouble? That's, it'd be, uh, uh, the best example I can give of this is like, I've got um, kids and we homeschool them. Imagine if we decided to mess with them, <laughs> right? It's first grade math. I'm like, Calvin, two plus two is six. <laughs> I need you to study dad's math tables. Two plus two is six. Five plus five is 17, right? Guess what? Hey, you're right. It's not right. <laughs> but for the rest of this poor kid's life, nothing's going to look right. Right, he's going to go to the store and try to pay for something, and it's not going to make sense. If he tries to build a building based off of the math that I just gave him, it's going to come crumbling down because all the math is going to be wrong. How we teach and, and the influence that we have is huge. A guide is someone who influences others. And James is not saying, listen to me, don't try, don't ever become a teacher. He's saying instead, we need to take that role of being an influencer very seriously. The reality is, again, many of you in this room, you are influencers. People are watching your life and it's being mirrored. And my question for us today is this. Are you and I being intentional with the influence God has given us or are we wasting it? Are we using our words and our life to lead people to Christ or away? I want you to think with me about the power of guiding we can take a large horse and make it go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship. Think of those massive cruise ships. The rudder just turns that entire ship wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. When we think about a blueprint, it's a paper guide to how to build the building but imagine if your enemy got holds of the plans to build your building. Imagine if someone who hated your guts got a hold of the blueprint before it came to you and decided to rewrite it however they wanted. It would be structurally unsound. It would be unsafe. It could actually be something that you're building that's preparing for an imminent doom one day for you. But often that's what our enemy does. He grabs hold of our tongue. And he unleashes through our willingness words that prepare for a colossal crash later. He wants hold of the blueprint. So your enemy knows this and he has a blueprint for your words. He wants you to use your words to guide others towards pain and destruction, but also to guide your own life towards pain and destruction. Have you noticed no one is as hard on you as you are? Seriously. I was watching a video just the other day where this clinical psychologist was talking to like his patients about it and he was instructing them and, and he was saying he, he had noticed in them this constant like 
as they would look in the mirror, the things that they would even speak and say to themselves. And so he was talking to one of them, and he said this. He goes, I want you to talk to you like how you would have actually said if it was your best friend that just had done the same thing you had done. He's like, wait, 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 what do you mean? He's like, okay, so you made a mistake. Your inner dialogue starts speaking and saying things to yourself. You start beating yourself up. You start declaring things over your life. You start saying some of the most evil, vile things about yourself. But what if it was your best friend? What would you have said to them? He goes, now I want you to look in the mirror and say it out loud. And the guy was shocked because he was like, I would never say to my best friends the things I say to me about me. Do you realize what's happening in that moment? The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who brings condemnation into your life. And so he has the power. He, he longs for you to even use your own words to just be a smashing hammer upon your soul to bring destruction in its wake. See, your enemy knows this, and he has the blueprint for your words, and he wants to use them to guide you and other towards pain and destruction. See, James' description of the tongue is he says it's like a bit in a horse's mouth, and it's like a rudder on a ship. Both of those are tools that lead. Obviously, they can lead our lives, but I would challenge us to realize that our words can actually lead the lives of others as well. Think about the context James is talking about. He is saying, don't just presume to be a teacher. Realize your words can lead someone towards a particular path. So let's look at that. Let's look at broken blueprints. Words that mislead. James says it this way. He says, sometimes our words, they praise our Lord and Father, and sometimes our tongue, it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So let's look real quick just at the, the broken blueprint, okay? Let's look at how the enemy wants to take our words as a blueprint to bring destruction. And the first one I would say is this, and it might be a little bit of a shocking to you. It's actually a refusal to wound. A refusal to wound. One of my friendship life verses comes from Ezekiel chapter 33, and it says this, Ezekiel, he he gets this word from the Lord and, and God speaks to him and he says, all right, Ezekiel, I've set you as a watchman. A watchman was someone who would stand on a tower and he would look out looking for any sign of the enemy. And if the enemy was coming, he would yell to the people in the city gates, prepare yourself, prepare yourself, the enemy's coming. And he says, if you see the army coming and you don't say anything to the people in the city. And so the army comes upon them and destroys the whole city. He's like, their blood is on your head. You didn't do anything. You didn't say anything, Ezekiel. He said, but if you see the enemy coming and you shout out to the people, you warn them, you plead with them, you usher them, hurry, get, pick up arms, be ready for battle, but then they totally neglect your words. He says, then their blood's on their head, right? They, they were just stupid. <laughs> and then he says, Ezekiel, I have set you as a watchman over the house of Israel. Do you realize that in our closest relationships, there's a degree to which we are a watchman? The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
That's the word of God. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. One of the greatest ways that we can use our words to mislead or to even bring destruction is when we have a refusal to wound. We watch someone that we love and they're walking straight towards destruction and we go silent. We just sit and watch. See, the truth is, is that if we do have love for them, then we should be using our words to guide them from that destruction. My guess is this, is that if you were in a room with your child and you knew that there was someone that was walking in to do them harm, you would do everything within your physical power to guard them, protect them, and to keep them at a distance and from that enemy, right? Come on, moms in the room. Like, I've, I've, I've seen it. You mess with mama bear, God help you, right? <laughs> They'll shank you, right? <laughs> My point is this. If we do that for a physical enemy, how much more should we for the enemy that wants to destroy not only our kids' lives but their soul? If we really love someone, we have to be willing. Listen, a bad friend is someone who will watch someone that they love headed for disaster but just doesn't want to get involved. It's the opposite of love. So that's the first way. The second way is with unconstructive criticism. Unconstructive criticism. How many of you know exactly the person I'm talking about that you work with every single week? <laughs> right? They always have something to say, don't they? And it's always negative. It could have just been the greatest thing that your company or that you've ever even remotely done at your company, and they're going to try to find something remotely that's wrong with it, and it's not. One of the greatest ways you can find unconstructive criticism is when a person is willing to say something, but they're never willing to do anything about it. Right? Like, I am always willing to hear construction. I invite constructive criticism all the time from my friends, family, loved ones. After, there's, every time after I preach, I'm like, hey, babe, I look at my wife. How did I do? There's times she goes, oh, that was incredible. There's other times she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I need to hear that. And she'll even tell me. She's like, do you realize that you said this in your sermon like five different times? And I'm like, had no clue. But thank you for letting me know because I need to know that to get better. Like, I need to know that to continue to refine. But... One of the ways that we can mislead is whenever what always pours from our mouth is unconstructive criticism. And can I tell you something? This is something our culture celebrates. You look at someone's social media feed, this is what is pouring across our culture. We celebrate the critic because you know why? Everyone wants to be a critic because it's so easy to be a critic. It doesn't take anything. It doesn't cost you anything. See, this is actually the opposite of this. This is willing to maim and wound someone just because this person is full of angst and anger. This is someone who's willing to wound them because I love you so deeply. I will fight for your future. That's the difference between those two. It's always negative. It's always a focus on what could be wrong. That's never supportive. It always thinks that that person's going to fail. It's always criticizing and hoping even that it's going to fail. 
never willing to jump in and help. The third is dream destroyers. How many of you have met these people? Dream destroyers. Now, sometimes, this is where we've, we've got to watch. Sometimes there's an important point about ref, of, like, you need to wound correctly. And then sometimes it's just you're destroying a dream. I'll give you a difference. I'll show you a little bit of difference between the two. Your pastor has no musical talent. And I mean that in the greatest sense of that word. I can't clap on beat. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I look at sheet music and it's like I'm reading Chinese, right? I'm like, I, when I see musicians stand up there and they can actually look at a thing and they can follow it, I'm like, you have to be formed different than me. <laughs> like, I attempted it. I remember I was in high school band. I tried, I tried guitar. I tried trumpet. I ended by trying bass drum. It got to the point we were in a full room full of class and um, my teacher's up there and I'm just wailing away thinking I'm right on the right moment with the bass drum. <laughs> nope. Right, the the band director just says like cut and like he's got a hold of his podium and he's like almost shaking with frustration and I'm just like oh I wonder what he's angry about you know <laughs> and he turns and he looks at me and he goes Johnson get out of my class and don't come back I kid you not <laughs> that was the that was the final straw that was the end of the day of my musical career and guess what it was an important thing because that talent ain't in your pastor and I can't grow that talent because it's not there listen. He wounded me, but it, someone needed to do it because I was trying to do something that was out of my lane. That's not what I'm talking about here. Dream destroyers are the people that you're angry in the moment and you know that that's important to them and so you know you can hurt them. It's saying things like you're never going to amount to anything to a person. saying things like, why do you always fail? Dream destroyers perfectly align with the voice of the enemy because they do not want that person to succeed. James says that the words that come from our tongue, they're like tiny sparks that can set an entire forest on fire. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's things that were in your life that someone spoke and it just felt like the passion that was there was burnt to the ground. Paul to the Ephesians, he says it this way, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building. Do you know that destroying is the opposite of building? I hope you do. I'm trying not to insult your intelligence, but the truth is we're supposed to be using our language to build others, not to destroy them. But the enemy, he wants to flip it. If God wants you to use your language to build others towards him and his glory, the enemy is going to do everything he can to take it and do the exact opposite. And so rather than using it to build others up, he's going to use it to tear others down and to destroy their actual dreams. If I were to scroll through your social media accounts, if I were to go one by one through all of your text, what kind of language and dialect would I find? That's a good question for all of us. How are we using our platforms? How are we using our language? Are, are we 
privately, carefully wounding people that we love in the process of bringing them towards wholeness? Are we unleashing constant criticism in their life? Or are we destroying everything that God is trying to build? Or maybe, just maybe, our language and our tongue is constantly feeding on gossip, drama, and the negative. I'm just being, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's people in your life that like, they feast on the negative. They live off of it. I don't know how you do that. That's like drinking salt water on a constant basis. It's terrible. Are your words destroying the character, the reputation, the trust or friendships of others? Are they bringing people down or are you lifting people up? What does that mostly reflect? The nature of God or the nature of your enemy? How you speak will influence others as to what is even okay and acceptable in your presence. Whenever we ever use our platforms to criticize gossip, destroy dreams, to hurt people, to refuse to call out brokenness, listen to me, please hear me. Your life becomes a tool in the hand of the enemy. If we needed to get rid of this wall right now, what tool would I hand you? Sledgehammer. Let me tell you what, demolition's fun. Come on. People in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I remember whenever I was a kid, we were putting in a new wall, and uh, we had to take one out. And I remember my dad handed me a sledgehammer, and he's like, go for it. And I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, go for it. I'm like, yeah, this is the best day ever. <laughs> right? You're like, I got to tear through a wall. You're just like, Wah! right? But it creates a mess. There's dust everywhere. There's destruction. There's chips. There's splinters. There's things flying. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. That's the kind of stuff our enemy wants. He's like, oh, you're angry at them? Here's a sledgehammer. Go to town. A regular hammer is much, much smaller. It's fine-tuned. It's built for the purpose of carefully constructing and building something like that wall that has lasting value. It's used with intentionality, not with constant destruction in its path. See, Whenever we allow our words to have those things, we become like a weapon in the hand of the enemy. So my question for you is this, what kind of blueprint are you giving? The ultimate question is, is what is your language doing to the people around you? The ultimate challenge is for us to step up to the level of spiritual maturity where we use our words as a tool for God to build others up. So let's look at a beautiful blueprint, looking at how our words can guide. Verse 29 of Ephesians, do not let, in other words, let me paraphrase this, don't allow your words to be a sledgehammer to the lives of others. Instead, let what comes out of your mouth be like a tool that is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So let's look at the first part of this. Our words should be a peacemaker.
Rather than feasting on the negativity, we should be bringing peace. Why? Because our God is peace. He is the prince of peace. Where his presence is, there is peace. People who thrive and live off drama, they will listen to me, will never be blessed by God. Because you're living off the culture of the enemy. You can't receive blessing and live in blessing if you're living in the context of what the enemy wants the the culture to be like. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Does your presence, does your action, do your words bring peace? Do they? Spiritual maturity is someone who brings people together rather than tears them apart. Spiritual maturity fights for forgiveness rather than holding on to anger. Spiritual maturity chooses incredibly painful forgiveness rather than incredibly easy easy bitterness. Bitterness is easy. We are quick to it. Forgiveness is hard. It has to be fought for. Spiritual maturity lays down our rights for the sake of restoration in a relationship. I always, when I'm talking to couples in marriage counseling, I, I, I challenge them, I'm like, do your best to be the person who races trying to finish first in asking for forgiveness. You want a great relationship with your spouse? You want a great relationship with your friend? You want a great relationship in any context? Be the first person who apologizes. Make it a race to get there. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. The second is encouragers. We use our words to encourage I want you to think about that word, encourage. It means to put courage in. God speaks to Joshua. He says, be bold, be strong, be brave, for I am with you. It's like a shot of adrenaline in the heart of Joshua. It's a challenge to his spirit. What I can promise you is that the people in your life that you have influence over, right now they're wrestling with the question, do I have what it takes? You know how I know that? Because you're wrestling with that question. Somewhere in your life, listen to me. Let's be real here. Come on, mom's in the room. Is mom guilt not real? Do I have what it takes? Am I leading well enough? Am I being good enough? Am I trying hard enough? Like every single mom that I know, all those questions are flooding. Every single guy in the room, I I know the question that, am I leading strong enough? Am am I doing enough for my spouse, for my family? Am Am I working hard enough, right? What if we started to use our words to empower and encourage each other? You've got this. I'm with you. If our words started sounding like what our Father in heaven speaks to us, imagine the kind of wake in the good that would come with that. That's what Paul's writing. He says, use your words to build each other up according to their needs. If their needs is they need to be encouraged, we need to do that. I, I talked to you about a couple of weeks ago um, about my call in the ministry and how there was even a lady at Target that looked at me and she was like, Pastor, I don't see it. Well, let me tell you about another person. This is before I even knew that I was being called into ministry. His name was Chris Harder, and he was a youth leader. And I remember I was in church, and he pulled me aside into the hallway one day, and I thought I was getting in trouble. I was like, oh, man, what did I do this time? (laughs) 
And I'll never forget, he pulled me aside and he said, Josh, God's hand is all over your life. And I believe he's calling you into ministry. And I remember I literally laughed. I was like, (laughs) and yet to this day, I remember that moment. To this day, I can take you to that place, to that hall, to that moment where he spoke words into my life because he saw what God was doing. We need to be people who are encouragers because encouragement is the dialect of Christianity. It reflects our master. We need to be those who help build boldness and bravery. Boldness and bravery. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's fear that has said its prayers. I believe it was Churchill that said that. There's people in your life right now that God's got things in store for them, but they're asking those tough questions of like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't, I don't, I'm stressed. I'm worried. I just don't feel like I've got it in me. But we have influence over them and we have the ability to start speaking truth into their life. How many of you have ever had, come on, show of hands, someone in your life that they prayed over you, they said something to you, and it was just like the biggest drink of water that like instantly, you know what I'm talking about? That moment where you're just like, I can, I can do this. That's the kind of people that we need to be. Over my kids, one of the things I pray over Jason often when he goes to sleep is I say, God, I pray that he'd be big, bold, brave, strong, kind, and loving. I pray that he would make the right decisions even when they're the hard decisions. Because here's the thing, I want my son to take risks, but the right kind of risks. I want him to risk it for the sake of the kingdom. When was the last time that you risked something for the kingdom of God? Think about that for a second. I'll never forget for me, it was a moment of prayer. Um, I was in a season of kind of dryness in ministry, and I had just finished praying with some students, and there was now some alone time at a P3. It was like a prayer service for teenagers. And I kind of found my way to the altar because I'm like, I'm the pastor. I probably should go pray, right? (laughs) Go to the altar, and I start praying. I don't know where the Holy Spirit just whispered this question into my soul. He said, Joshua, when was the last time you daydreamed for my kingdom? And it just stopped me in my tracks. I was good at doing the work, good at doing the checklist, good at doing the And God's like, that's not what I called you to. When was the last time that you and I took a risk for the kingdom of God? More importantly, when was the last time you encouraged someone that you watched right now that is taking a risk for God? There's people in this church right now, listen to me, they are following after God in the faith and they are the only person in their entire family that's saved. Every single day is a risk. They need people who are encouraging them, that are speaking boldness and bravery into your heart. You're doing the right thing. You're pursuing him. He's going to bless you. They need that strength. They need a group of people that are around them with hammers in hand helping build the future that God has in store for them. Because guess what? Most of us in this room are here because someone helped build the pathway for us. 
Somewhere along your line or your family line, there was someone that took the risk and they shared their faith. And listen, our lives were changed and our stories were altered because they had a key hand in the part of that process. You and I need to be the people who are doing that. We need to build boldness and bravery. We need to speak out when someone is being mean, when there's gossiping, when there's hurt that's happening. We need to stand up as an example to guide others. Listen to me. What a privilege to be used by God to speak bravery into the lives of the people in our life. To challenge them to pursue the dreams that God has put on their heart. And then lastly, we're life speakers. We speak truth. We speak God's word over them. We call into the things that God has done. You and I come across broken people every single day, but what are we doing about it? We need to speak life. But in order to speak life, we have to be in their proximity. Your presence matters. We need to get near to the broken, just like God is near to the brokenhearted. Whenever you see pain, speak into the wound. Too often we're like, I don't want to address it. I don't want to, no, 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 no. We need to speak into the wound. We need to remind them, no, 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 no. I know that they said that about you, but let me tell you what's true about you. Let me tell you the things that I see that God's put inside you. Let me challenge you with the, the incredible gifts and calling that God has put onto your life. We need to be life speakers Craig Rochelle, he says it this way in regards to all these things. He says, if it's positive and nurturing and good and beautiful, if you think it, say it. We as Christians need to be real. We should be the best encouragers on the planet. But you know what the problem is this, is whenever we see a gift that someone has, we have a tendency to let that be the thing that just falls to the wayside. We're like, oh, they already know that they're good at that. So we don't say anything about it. We don't bring it up because we just have, there's a natural assumption. Well, they already know that they're good about that. They already know that they're great. Right? How many of you every single week, you're blessed by the worship that happens here? Right? Red and the team, like, they do an incredible job. Every single one of them, they lead us into the very presence of God. And we are, I'm so thankful for all that you guys do. It is phenomenal. But how often do we thank them for that? Right? Like we have to be people who become very, very good at using our lips and our lives to speak into others. There is, I heard this pastor say it this way. He asked us as pastors, is there anyone in your life right now that's too encouraged? They're like, if you just gave them one more, it'd just be too much. Like they, they might burst, like it'd just be a problem. <laughs> no. In fact, most of the people we know in our life, they're on life support when it comes to encouragement. We are surrounded by such negativity, pain, brokenness, and unkindness that we need to be culture shifters, life speakers. Jesus to Peter, do you love me? He restores him by speaking into his heart. I want you to think about this with me, though, as we bring this to a close. What is necessary for every single blueprint? Every single time an architect starts the process of making a blueprint for a building, what's necessary? Number one, it's planned and intentional. 
None of us would ever live in a home that the blueprint was started the night before we moved in. I hope not, at least. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, there was this time. <laughs> right? Uh, no. This process right here took a great deal of time, planning, thoughtfulness, as they walked through piece by piece what this building you're sitting in right now should look like. It was thought through. It was planned. It was intentional. It was it was really to the, the very detail of the inch where things should be. Can I plead with you and me to start thinking of our language that way? How planned and intentional can I be? It looks something like this. You've just had an argument with your spouse. You're in that moment of the tension where maybe you're not even in the same room as them. And there's that moment where suddenly the Holy Spirit pricks you and prompts you, hey, you got a great deal of the problem that's going on. It's with you, <laughs> right? Now, most of the time we go, shut up. <laughs> I want to do this on my own, right? Now, listen, we need to instead go, absolutely, I need to shut up. I need to listen, God. Help me, empower me in this moment. And then we need to stop and we need to think and we start need to create a blueprint. God, I just created some destruction in my relationship without even realizing, God, I just, I was handed a sledgehammer by the enemy and I just went to town. Holy Spirit, I apologize. I repent of what I've done. I need to start with you first, God. But now, Lord, help me be planned and intentional whenever we meet again. So whenever your spouse walks in the room, then suddenly you're like, listen, I need to own up to my wrongs. And I hurt you in ways I shouldn't have. And I said that and I didn't mean it. So let me tell you what I really did mean. I see God's, and you start speaking intentionality into their life. I see God's hand on your life. I see you're so talented in this area and you are so good. You astound me with the ways that you are gifted in this area. And the way, you know what we're doing? We're speaking encouragement. We're speaking life. We're speaking into their very soul and even into the wound that we created. Maybe you're about to meet with your grandson or son or daughter or best friend. And you know that right now their life feels like hell is fired up at its worst and crowding around them. So on the car ride there, maybe you start praying and say, God, use me. In this moment right now, empty me of Josh Johnson and use me. And then you start thinking about, okay, wait a second. I'm not to let anything unwholesome come out of my mouth. I don't need to worry about that because not, I'm not mad at them. But what can I do to build them up according to their needs? They're in the pain of someone that maybe they've just lost or, or something's going on in their life or something. Okay, so God, use my words to be life to them. Use my presence to bring encouragement to them. Use your spirit alive in me to, to pour out on them so that they can taste and see that you're good even in the midst of this darkness. You know, it's interesting when I did youth ministry, I, I took an eight-hour course on ministering to students who are struggling with suicide and depression. And what astounded me was they said that all the students who make it to the other side, they emphatically 
can credit it back to at least one person who stood by their side through that whole season. It was the presence and words of another that carried them through the dark night of their soul. We all need that, don't we? But it's going to come through planning intentionality. It's going to come with us carefully saying, God, would you use my words like a blueprint instead of like a sledgehammer? Would you use my life so that how I speak will actually reveal the gospel? Will you use me for your kingdom? Would you stand with me this morning? You just bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Here's what I want us to close today with. Wherever you're at right now, Holy Spirit, I pray would you drop a name in this moment. Would you drop a name on every one of our hearts of someone that we have influence over that you are calling us to speak words of life and encouragement to? Holy Spirit, would you move in this place right now? Because Lord, in this room, I see leaders. I see people who have sons and daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, nieces and nephews, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people that look up to them. Holy Spirit, I pray that in the context of this room and in this place, would your spirit right now speak? And God, I pray, would you start to give us not just opportunity, but planned, intentional opportunity where we can use our words to bring life and hope into dark places. God, may we be life speakers. May we be truth tellers. May we be people who are using our words to be a peacemaker, to encourage, to instill boldness and bravery and to speak life, that we would use our words to guide people rather than to maim and to cause destruction. And Lord, I pray right now that that name that you're dropping on our heart right now, may we be hearers of the word and doers of the word. That as we leave this place in just a few moments, that you would do a work inside us, we pray. That we would respond with action as we walk out to interact with the people in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Would you join us just singing the chorus of um, this song today just as a way of like kind of finalizing what God's been doing in our midst and in our hearts. And then then Haley's gonna come and bring us to a close.